This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Sporadic anti-lockdown protests broke out in Beijing, China's capital, as similar demonstrations took place in Xinjiang, a province in western China. A fire in Rumqi, the capital of Xinjiang, killed 10 people. Many demonstrators blamed COVID-19 restrictions for slowing the response of emergency services. Chinese authorities said on Saturday that COVID-19 restrictions would be eased in stages in Urumqi following the outbursts, while some areas of Beijing have lifted restrictions ahead of schedule. Ukraine's foreign ministry said that Russia was using, quote, genocidal Soviet tactics against the country. Ukraine commemorated the victims of the Holodomor, a Stalin-era famine that killed millions and which many historians see as a deliberate campaign of starvation. Earlier, in a carefully stage-managed event, President Vladimir Putin told a group of Russian mothers, some of whose sons have died fighting, that he shares their pain. Tsai Ing-wen, the president of Taiwan, resigned as head of the ruling Democratic Progressive Party after a dismal set of results for her party in local elections. Ms. Tsai had tried to frame the elections as a way for voters to rebuke Chinese aggression. Taiwan's opposition party, the Kuomintang, had focused on the government's handling of COVID-19. Ms. Tsai will remain as president until Taiwan holds elections in 2024. Iranian security officials fired at protesters in the southeastern province of Sistan, Baluchistan, after Friday prayers, leaving dozens of casualties, according to activists tracking the demonstrations. Meanwhile, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps deployed more soldiers to Kurdish regions in the north of the country. Iran's protests were sparked by the killing of a 22-year-old Kurdish woman in police custody on September 16th. This year's Black Friday, America's annual shopping bonanza, appeared to be a relatively subdued affair. The day after Thanksgiving is the busiest day of the year for the country's shops, but economic worries are prompting parsimony among consumers. Some forecasters predict that sales will be up just 1% on last year, when retailers were still reeling from the pandemic. The Federal Communication Commission, America's telecommunications regulator, banned Huawei and ZTE, two Chinese technology firms, from selling goods in America. The commission cited national security concerns. The FCC had previously restricted companies from using government money to buy Huawei's gear, but this ruling covers all private sector purchases. The Biden administration had earlier stopped the export of semiconductors to China in an increasingly protectionist turn. Football World Cup Poland secured their first win of the tournament, beating Saudi Arabia despite spirited opposition. Robert Lewandowski scored one of the goals, taking his total for Poland to 77. On Friday, Pro- and anti-government Iran fans clashed in the stands during the country's match against Wales. Iran went on to win with two late goals. Elsewhere, 
America's footballers maintained their unbeaten record against England at World Cups as the teams played out a turgid, goalless draw, the fifth in the competition's first 20 matches. And word of the week. Iskra, meaning spark. The name of the paper Vladimir Lenin once edited from London. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. A call of duty for American regulators. America's Federal Trade Commission is preparing to decide whether to oppose Microsoft's acquisition of Activation Blizzard, a video game developer that the software firm agreed to buy for $69 billion in January. Microsoft, which makes the Xbox console, would get Activision's library of games including Candy Crush, a mobile hit, and the murderously popular Call of Duty franchise. Sony, in particular, worries that Microsoft might take Activision titles away from its rival PlayStation console. Microsoft has promised to keep Call of Duty on the PlayStation for a decade. It has pointed out to the FTC and 15 other competition watchdogs examining the deal that its Xbox lags behind both Nintendo and Sony in the console market, and that it has little presence in mobile. But truthbusters, who in recent years have placed big tech in their sights, worry about Microsoft's leading position in subscription and cloud-based gaming. Those are tiny industries for now, but regulators are in a trigger-happy mood. Russian fertilizer sets sail for Africa. Many poor countries rely on Russian fertilizer to boost their harvests, but more than 400,000 tons of the stuff are currently stuck in European warehouses. Although fertilizers are exempt from sanctions, banks and insurance companies are wary of backing trade in Russian goods, lest they accidentally get slapped with fines or criminal charges. That is a pain for Russia which was enticed to back a deal to allow grain to leave Ukraine's Black Sea ports with promises of help for its fertilizer trade. Russian companies have offered to donate stocks to African countries but have struggled to pay for the freight. So the UN has stepped in. This weekend, a ship chartered by its World Food Program is en route from the Netherlands to Malawi bearing 20,000 tons of Russian fertilizer. It is in everyone's interests to shovel fertilizer along again. The World Cup of Tennis Fights for Relevance Tennis may be the world's most popular individual sport, but it also has a rich history of team competitions. The Davis Cup, a tournament for national men's teams launched in 1900, claims to be the world's longest-running international team sports event. But it is struggling for relevance. Senior players and fans prefer the four Grand Slams, the sport's most prestigious and lucrative tournaments. In 2018, the International Tennis Federation, the sport's governing body, entered a 25-year partnership worth $3 billion with Cosmos, an investment group, to revamp the Davis Cup. The event was squeezed into just a week in a single city, this year Malaga in Spain. It was rebranded as the World Cup of Tennis. Whether this is attracting new fans is still unclear, though viewing numbers for the final between Canada and Australia on Sunday will offer some indication. 
but competition for eyeballs will be stiff. That same day, Canada will face Croatia at the Football World Cup in Qatar. Wireless earphones double as hearing aids. Hearing loss is the third most common chronic health condition among Americans, yet three quarters of those affected do not use hearing aids. Many people go without so as not to feel old, though the aids can also be expensive and inconvenient to acquire. But research in the journal iScience has shown that ordinary wireless earphones can be used as hearing aids. Audiologists compared Apple's market-leading AirPods Pro with two professional hearing aids. AirPods Live Listen tool, popular with birdwatchers and eavesdroppers, which receives and amplifies audio from an iPhone's microphone, enabled them to function as makeshift hearing aids. In listening tests with hearing-impaired volunteers, AirPods Pro performed as well as a basic hearing aid and almost matched a premium one. This proves that earbuds could act as stopgaps for people awaiting assessment at a fraction of the cost. And for those hung up on feeling old, what could be trendier than nicking a near-ubiquitous accessory among teenagers? Weekend Profile Hervé Renard, manager of the Saudi football team At the World Cup in Qatar, Saudi fans are outnumbered only by Americans and those of the hosts. Proximity to Qatar certainly helps, but no one should doubt the Saudis' passion for the game. Yet their national team had little to show for it on the sport's biggest stage, until this week. On Tuesday, the Green Falcons, as they are known, shocked Argentina, among the pre-tournament favorites. King Salman gave workers the day off in celebration just one sign of the commitment the country's rulers have shown to the sport. In 2021, the Saudi Public Investment Fund, chaired by Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, bought Newcastle United, a team in England's Premier League. PIF money has also poured into Saudi Arabia's domestic league, which attracts tens of thousands of spectators. And Saudi officials are plotting an audacious bid to host the World Cup in 2030. For all that, the Saudis' most astute decision may prove to be the appointment in 2019 of Hervé Renard as manager of the national team. Against Argentina, commentators found his tactic of holding a high defensive line naive, but it proved overpowering on the pitch. Mr. Renard's inspirational pep talk at halftime, when Saudi Arabia were trailing, was also instrumental, according to one player. The victory felt like the culmination of Mr. Renard's own journey. In 1999, he began coaching S.C. Draguignon, a small team in the south of France, after his unremarkable playing career had been cut short by injury. To make ends meet, he worked as a cleaner between training sessions, something he later described as the best schooling he ever had. Other coaching stints in Asia and Africa followed. In 2012, he led unfinanced Zambia to their first African Cup of Nations win. Three years later, he took the trophy again, this time with Ivory Coast. Mr. Renard's decision to take the Saudi job earned him plenty of criticism, given the country's poor human rights record. He insists such matters have, quote, improved a lot, 
and that he accepted the role for sporting reasons, not the significant money on offer. On Saturday, his team lost to Poland, but the Saudis may yet secure a first appearance in the World Cup's knockout stages since 1994, with a win against Mexico on November 30th. Should they pull it off, that would strengthen Mr. Renard's claim that Saudi Arabia truly is a country of football. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Purina Lamba, Mumbai, India. North America, Maureen Evans, Vernon, Canada. Central and South America, Jim Kapler, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Europe, Hirki Reina, Torre Vieja, Spain. Africa, Killian Christ, Nairobi, Kenya. Oceania, Jim McMahon, Wellington, New Zealand. They all gave the correct answers of Hound, Cruel Intentions, Tasmanian Devil, Teddy Bear, and Burning Man. The theme is Elvis Presley songs, Hound Dog, Don't Be Cruel, Devil in Disguise, Let Me Be Your Teddy Bear, and Burning Love. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day, from Jimi Hendrix, born on this day in 1942. Blues is easy to play, but hard to feel. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening. Thank you.